Hello and welcome to the Locust and Honey Podcast. We are two Reformed Southern Baptists who desire to speak the truth of the gospel to the heart of the culture. We are also proud members of the BAR Network, which stands for Biblical and Reformed Network. If you would like to support our growing podcast, you can do so several ways. One, you can leave us a comment and share our podcast on your social media. Two, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And three, you can follow the link in our show notes to find all of the other ways that you can support us and connect with us. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Well, hello and welcome back to Locust and Honey Podcast. My name is Matt. And I'm Andrew. And today we have a special guest. What is your name, special guest? Yep. Uh, first time I've been special since kindergarten, but uh, my name's Brian Cole. <laughs> I am publisher of Cannon Press and Cannonball Books and also one half of the Stories of Soul Food Podcast. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. We're uh, super excited to have you on here today. Uh, I feel like we've done this before, but <laughs> a little deja vu. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, man, we're super excited to have you here. Um, I've, I've, we do affirmations and denials, and I've affirmed uh, stories or soul food uh, several times just from conversations that you guys have had on there that I found very intriguing. And uh, and so uh, when I reached out and you responded, we're we're just uh, grateful to you and looking forward to our conversation today. Um, I'm going to start off with a denial. We were halfway through this episode and I realized that I did not record the episode. And so here we are again. Um, and so I'm going to deny <laughs> doing that. <laughs> and, and we're going to quickly kick off our affirmation. So Andrew, affirm something for me, man. All right. Um, I'm, going to try and, I'm going to try and do this a little better than I did last time. So I'm going to affirm, remember the Titans? It's a movie that my wife Emma and I watched Pretty recently, shortly before we went to bed, so it got me all amped up to go to sleep. Um, <laughs> and uh, and y'all fought strong side, weak side. Who yeah, gets to the bed? That's right. That's right. I like that part. And you can't tell. Yeah, that's your favorite, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it is. What's well, your this favorite? Is my favorite part, where uh, Coach Yost is telling the defense after he's he's squared everything up with the referee who's trying to throw the game for the other team so that coach Yost can get back to be the head coach and go in the hall of fame. And coach Yost is talking to the defense and he's like, <clears throat> here we go. You make sure they remember forever the night they played the Titans. Ooh. And that part, it just, I was like, Ooh, let's go. I wonder where they got the name from then. Which one? Remember, remember the, the title? Oh, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> from <laughs> that? <a> good question. <laughs> All right, so awesome. that's my affirmation. I feel like I did that better than I did the first run through. Uh, it took more time to do it. All right, I like it. Um, <laughs> I am going to affirm uh, a 
Bible rebranding company called Post Tenebras Lux. Bible rebranding. A um, couple years ago when I got ordained, my mom took my old uh, ESV study Bible that I've been using for a long time, had lots of notes in and all that, and she had it rebound for me through this guy. And uh, so if you have any books or Bibles or that he does notebooks, he does all kinds of stuff that you'd like to get rebound. Um, mine is buffalo leather on the outside with some nice goat skin on the inside. Ooh. Yeah, it's bougie. <laughs> but I like it, man. And it, it's, uh, it, it holds up. It'll last a long time. They, they do all the, they rebind it. So, you know, if you've got pages that are loose or that, you know, we glue that all the cheap Bibles come in nowadays are coming off. Or if your pleather is ripping apart, just, uh, check it out. We're not sponsored by him, but he does really good work and it will help God's word last well, no, <laughs> that's, that's not true. It'll help your uh, copy. It will help the copy of God's word <laughs> last with you for a long time. <laughs> Brian, uh, join us in affirming something. <laughs> Straighten us out yeah, a little I'm, bit. <laughs> I'm getting, I'm getting the hang of this now. I, 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 I still, I still expected it to be a little more, you know. But I guess it's just what you like or dislike, right? It, now. It's, it's, it's anything and everything. Um, we, we affirm theological things we deny theological like things and and then it could be anything from something small to something big perfect all right well i'll hit the i'm coaching my sons of youth rugby right now and uh uh they're five and seven and i i affirm uh, the experience of watching your sons learn how to tackle and get hit, even though we tend to think as Americans that rugby is an uncivilized sport for animals. Um, I think, uh, you know, I've enjoyed it greatly. So yeah. That's what I get. And there's nothing like seeing, uh, nothing like seeing a little kid hit the rock and then say balls out. And it's, I don't know, it's great stuff. <laughs> that's so, awesome. Yeah, man. Uh, my, my two oldest are playing football. And so, uh, what my, my six-year-old, this is his first year playing tackle football. And, um, the first day that he had pads on, he got hit and he was not having it. He wasn't happy, but to see him, uh, kind of grow into it and be like, okay, this is actually pretty fun when I lay somebody out or score a touchdown. Um, so yeah, that's, that's awesome, man. Yeah. There's I, that's something that I remember the first time getting hit hard enough to not knock the snot out of me when I was playing lacrosse in high school. And I think that's a formative experience. It's oh, good yeah. to have it. I mean, oh, yeah. exactly. I'm an editor now, so I sit on my behind all day and, <laughs> uh, uh, I still think back to getting just destroyed by that Gonzaga prep player. So, oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's good. Makes them, uh, wake up and, and realize, huh, I can be aggressive. And I, I, you know, so I, yeah, I'm in, enjoying having them in that too. All right, Andrew, let's, uh, let's deny something. All right. I always feel like our affirmations are more like stuff that we enjoy and then our denials are like theological. <laughs> yeah, <normally>. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> all right. So I'm going There's to There's just deny. so much to deny nowadays <laughs> yeah. in our culture. That's true. Um, I'm going to deny the, uh, I'm still trying to work on how I'm going to angle this, the, the, the folly of the atheistic worldview. Not denying that it exists, but denying it itself. All right. um, You're affirming Romans 
one. Affirming Romans one. And denying the people that do it. I suppose. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's just get into it a little bit. All so right, let's I, do that. I, uh, <laughs> I um, have been teaching the college and career class here at our church about apologetics for the past few weeks on Wednesday nights. And um, <clears throat> this past week, we talked, or yesterday, last night, we talked about atheism. And so it for, I, I wanted to make sure that I remembered and I was able to really kind of dig into what atheists say they believe, you know? Um, and so I went to um, the American Atheist Society and it was like, uh, I think it's atheist.org is how you get there. But um, it was like on their About Us page, they had what we believe and all this stuff. And so it had in bold letters kind of summarizing what they believe. I mean, I read the whole page. I didn't just take cliff notes, but <laughs> kind of just, but this was a pretty decent summary of what the whole page said. And it said that we don't deny the existence of gods, nor do we um, believe in, what was it? We do not deny the existence of gods, nor do we not believe in the existence of God. I don't know. It's, it was something weird. Basically it said, we don't deny the, the existence of gods Atheism is simply a rejection of the assertion that gods exist. Yeah. So it was like, there's just- Without God. Right. So it was like, they don't deny, they don't actively deny, but they don't actively believe. And that's yeah. what kind of they're trying to say is that we don't actively do anything. We just, we're sitting here in, in, in this third category of indifference. Right. And- um, They're just stardust. Right. That evolved. Right. And and so it was just, I don't know, it was interesting to see the way that they've had to kind of contort themselves into trying to create a firm foundation for themselves apart from the biblical worldview, and they simply can't. Like last night, we talked about the uniformity of nature. We talked about Hume's problem of indifference, where he tried to disprove the uniformity of nature, and it... it that particular thing requires the collapse of the atheistic worldview um, because their whole thing is we're all time and chance acting on matter. And so it was interesting because then that led us into morality and we brought it back to through scripture by saying, look, you know, when we share the gospel with these people, kind of like what we were saying on the first run through, <laughs> um, <laughs> we are coming in and we are not going to sway from scripture. We're not going to sway from what scripture has to say about the heart of the non-believer. We're going to proclaim the gospel because the gospel is the power of God into salvation and not reason or logic. It is simply the gospel. Yeah. Um, and so that's so, somewhat of an affirmation, but the denial, I guess, is the folly itself that we humans reject God to the point of, trying to escape his very image. Yeah. And and the the kind of the the call that I would like to make is if there's anybody that would hold to an atheistic or even an agnostic belief or if you know somebody that does, we would love to have them on the show because I would like to just have a discussion or even a debate with them about morality apart from God. Um where do we get it? Why do we apply the laws that we apply um, apart from God and his moral law? And um, so if, if anybody would like to take us up on that, 
info at locustandhoney.net. Shoot us an email and we'll make it happen. But um, yeah, I, so mine, my denial is going to be theological as well. Um, <clears throat> I am denying two kingdoms theology. And uh, I was listening to Joseph Boot with Ezra Institutes, and he was kind of just giving his his thoughts on the um, Queen Elizabeth's funeral. And one of the things that they did right before they ceremonial ceremonially put her body in the ground, they they took um, man, my mind just went blank. The orb and the scepter, and uh, and they they were both on the grave. And they they took both of those, and the BBC broadcaster that was was telling the onlookers, the audience, what what they're seeing, talked about uh, both of them, and uh, was talking about what they meant. And and so the orb, you've got the globe, and over it, you've got a cross, and the the symbolism of that is that the the queen or the monarch is under the the kingship of Christ that Christ is king of kings and lord of lords that his dominion is the entire earth and everybody even the the king or the queen is under the authority and submission to Christ um and then the scepter represents them judging justly according to God's law and standard because they're under him and uh and so you know, the whole two kingdom mindset where you've got these separate spheres, um, that completely rejects that, you know? And so, uh, not, not a super, not getting into it deep today, but, uh, I would like to hear from my brothers that are two kingdoms mindsets. Uh, what do you think about that? So I'll leave that there. And, uh, and Brian, let's hear a denial, man. Perfect. I've got one, I think, kick us off on our conversation today. Um, I'm going to deny that rational argumentation is the most persuasive of the rhetorical proofs. And that's a bit technical, but basically what I mean is we tend to think that logos, the reasoning aspect, is what you have to get clear in order to convince somebody or to persuade somebody or to obligate belief in what you're arguing for. Um, but actually Aristotle lists three proofs and ethos and pathos, um, are the other two. So character slash authority as one of the proofs and then pathos as an emotional proof. And so I think especially, uh, those of us, especially in the Christian world, we tend to think, Hey, I've got, I've got the verse clear in front of them. That's what, that's where persuasion comes from. Right. Uh, so that's, that's, uh, that's obviously behind the heart of why I think stories are important and also uh, a lot of our goals in everyday life. Yeah. Well, let's, let's just use that as a segue then and, and let's kind of jump into that. So um, as you said, you're one of the two of Stories or Soul Food podcast. It's an interesting title. Why did you guys come up with that? Tell me a little bit about that and um, w- what you're doing over there. Why? Yeah, Stories of Soul Food is um, one of Nate's, Andy Wilson, best-selling children's author and uh, Christian filmmaker as well, or filmmaker who's a Christian, depending on which Lecrae variation you like to put on. (laughs) Right. Um, And uh, so 
uh, stories or soul food has been the way he's described what he's doing. Um, many of us think of art as something that the artiste does art for art's sake. They do it on their own by themselves for some higher calling. And that's been reinforced by modern approaches to art. Um, but rather than seeing himself as an artiste with a beret, um, we really see stories as being a line cook at a diner, right? So your goal is to get out a hot meal to somebody who is starving right? and your story is that hot meal. They're going to eat it and move on. Um, and, and in our culture today, we're surrounded by so many emaciated smartphone addicted, um, story, stupid people. Yeah. Um, and it, it might be the first real meal they've ever meet that they've ever tasted. And that's why we think it's really important to beef up some of these souls with some of this good nutrition and try to give them a taste um, uh, which is, you know, both pathos and ethos yeah. of what the good life actually is. Yeah. So that's what I was going to ask kind of to follow up on that. So what would make something good soul food and something junk food when, well, specifically uh, in story? Yeah. I mean, I'm fine with, I'm fine with some junk food. Right. Uh, I really am. Like you can, you can spend your time eating a bag of chips, uh, uh, occasionally. And that's a great use of I mean, what else are you going to eat with salsa, right? Right. <laughs> so um, there's nothing wrong with eating a story that is chips as long as you know that it's chips and it's not the only thing you eat. Right. Um, same approach there. So so really, I guess if you want to get into what makes a good story or a bad story, I'm going to take you guys straight to Schaefer. But um, uh, but yeah, that that the, the, really, I don't have a problem with there being junk, some junk food in your diet as right. well as some healthy food. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and so just kind of for, for our listeners that are just being introduced to all of this. Um, so what would just, I guess, like a, a brief synopsis of what would Schaefer say for what makes something a salad bar and then what makes something ice cream? Yeah. Um, okay. So really I, I like to describe our analysis of of fiction and really it works well for fiction, but it, it works for pretty much any genre as well. Um, we can just describe stories on a triangle of truth, goodness, and beauty, right? Okay. And, and, and on that triangle, you can have a story that camps out in any one of those corners and fails in any of the other corners. Um, or you can have a story that's uh, more solidly uh, hits on all of those three corners, truth, goodness, and beauty. And if it does that, that's when we start to reach what we view as that's that's good art. That's that's strong art. That's good soul food, right? Yeah. Um, so some good examples of that, something that would hit on a, a strong aesthetics, right? So the beauty yeah. side of a triangle would be probably something like a Coen Brothers film. Yeah. Right? So it's something that's written from two guys who are avowedly nihilist. And they are saying, well, if you ask them what they're saying with their movies, I think sometimes their own art defeats them. But right. they're saying that uh, the world is pointless. That fails on a truth level, right? Yeah. <laughs> we, we obviously uh, um, don't, don't believe that. So on the truth corner, they don't, they're not too solid on that front. And but on the aesthetics, the beauty side, their filmmaking, their craft and their script and the acting and all the things you generally look at with a film are extremely good. Right. 
right? And then uh, the goodness side is of, of your triangle is what it calls people to do. Um, I, I think, for example, No Country for Old Men provides, uh, may call you to be braver than you were before. Right. No, I don't think that's their goal. Uh, so to take so so I'd say they fail on one out of those three, but then also tell truths about the world. So I'd score that movie pretty high. Mm-hmm. A movie that would be solidly um, in the it's supposed to to help you out, but uh, doesn't. Or I, I shouldn't say that uh, a movie that's supposed to just make you be a better person, but doesn't achieve much on the truth or the um, aesthetics corner of the triangle right would yeah. be a movie uh, the typical mainstream christian hits right like war room for example yeah um if you that that prayer movie right there's absolutely nothing wrong with trying to encourage people to pray more and that's a good thing that uh, i need to hear too right yeah. but if we're looking at that film they actually don't have anything that intelligent to say about the world they haven't captured anything on that so that right. means the truth side there is really kind of failing and then similarly, the craft there, I, I, all I, all I remember is the characters being basically mouthpieces for what the authors wanted to say through the film. So their yeah. aesthetics is really low too, but I'm going to give them the points for some, some small points for morality of like, yeah, okay. A movie that helps people pray more and teaches them about the efficacy of prayer. I mean, teaching is a strong word, shows them right. the efficacy of prayer. You know, I'd say, all right, as far as that movie goes, if we're filling out uh, the flavor profile for that movie inside the triangle, it gets mm. a little stronger in that bottom left goodness corner. Right. So yeah. And that's it, a little bit longer. And Schaefer adds one more, but I'm just going to stick it with those three. For right. right now. Yeah. Well, and so kind of, kind of with that, like, yeah, I think a lot of Christian films or Christian books and, and things like that, it's, it's this. Uh, so when, when I was going to school, uh, I, I was, in the missions program. So my, my four year degrees in messiology, uh, and me and my wife were actually going to be missionaries in Iraq. Uh, we did two trips over there and then the, the missionaries that we were going to partner with ended up getting sick and had to come back to the States. And then the Lord kind of turned my heart to the American church and, uh, ministry here. Um, but when we were there, one of the things that I would do, I had uh, a friend of mine that was, um, he was a believer. He was born in Egypt. He was kind of the part of the Coptic church and then, um, came over here and, um, became a, a Baptist. But, um, we would go to out just in, in Iraq and strike up conversations with these guys. We'd go to the college university and hang out with them. And then we'd go to like the, the hookah bars and everybody'd sit around and drink tea and talk and all that stuff. But one of the things that my, my friend is, name was Iman, uh, what he would do is after our conversations, he would pull me aside and say, hey, here, when you were saying this, this was really good. Uh, when you were doing this, you kind of, you know, he was just, he would critique everything that I was saying afterwards and, and, and help me um, just communicate the gospel clearly with, with these people. And, uh, but one of the things that he said is, if you come into the conversation, just knowing here's what I'm saying and I'm not listening to them at all and I'm not, engaging with what they're talking to me about and all that. And I'm just trying to get these talking points. He said, people are going to be very turned off by that because they feel like you're just, you know, um, 
I don't know. You're you're not listening. You're not engaging. You don't care about them. You're just trying to to push your agenda down their throat, and and they don't want to hear that. And so, um, but I feel like that's what a lot of the Christian movies these days are doing. It's it's just these you know certain talking points that they want to get in, and and there's no truth in the the actual storyline of the film. And um, one of the things that I heard Nate say on on y'all's podcast is what makes a, a story biblical is that it's true because God is true. And so you can have a story that that might not have this great aspect of, you know, you see this, you know, that you see the perfect arc and then this redemption story. It might just be um, something that's true in general that, that might not be um, – you know, this redemptive story, but it's just a story nonetheless that is is true and dealing with where humanity is or dealing with the nature of sin or dealing with redemption or anything like that. And and so I, I kind of like that, you know, understanding that what makes a story true is not just that it's got a gospel presentation in it, but that it truly captures the world that God has created and the people that he's created in it. Right. So if art is about what fundamentally makes us human, um, then good art is art that captures more of what right. it means to make us fundamentally human. Our nature has created uh, and broken people, uh, broken creations is part of that. Yeah. Um, and so is the, the wonderful story of redemption. Right. But there's much more to what it means to be a human than um, a simplistic one-to-one uh, Sunday school flannel graph. And that, that goes back into too, like what is the gospel and what is a lot of people, they have this idea of what scripture says, but they've not fully read it. And so if you were to make a story that's true based on the judges in the old Testament, a lot of modern Christians would read that or watch that and be like, this is appalling. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, there's, yeah, that's rough. That's, that's very rough in there. Yeah. Um, uh, we we read we're reading through Joshua out loud as a family, and that first time, you know, right when they enter the promised land, and then they have the success at Jericho, which everybody knows, great story, right? What happens right after that? Right, it's the story Aiken. of Achan, right? And even for my little guys, you know, I've I've got five kids, nine and under, and that's a tough story. Oh They're yeah, like, wait, he had to die for that, and his whole family died too. Right, and uh, it's 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 a moment to talk about the importance of 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 listening to the Lord and the fact that God is holy, and you can't you don't get to, to exactly. make your own your own rules for holiness, and then also just Aiken misunderstanding the complete story that he was in, not right. remembering the fact that his father and everyone else's father literally just died because of. Right. Right. So yeah. they don't even get to go back into the promised land until uh, everyone has died off who failed the first time around. Yeah. And then he goes right back, sees some Babylonian cloth for the first time after being in the desert for 40 years, mm-hmm. you know, sees some gold and thinks this is it. Yeah. And it's a massive failure of trust. And, right. and, uh, and, and to, to Joshua's credit, I mean, you can tell that the Joshua feels for him. I think he calls him my son. Right. Uh, uh, in, in that. And, but at the same time, he follows, Joshua follows what the Lord says. And in fact, Akinson has already killed off. I think it's 36 of the other warriors. Right. You know? So it's already bleeding into and affecting the rest of the, the, 
the camp. Yeah. Basically all, what I'm saying is the story there is, is, um, it gets at some very deep human it does. emotions, yeah. not just a theological proposition as much as we do need our theology to be buttoned up and correct. Right. And that is something the church is struggling with right now too. It is. Well, and that's so like, um, I'm, I'm in the very beginning stages of, of writing a book that the Lord's kind of been working in my heart. And what that book is, it's, it's a, a biblical instruction on worship and establishing the preeminence of the first table of the law and not focusing outwardly. And one of the parts that I do is I talk about what happens when we're outward focused and, and we've flipped the tables. So when, when a culture is focusing outwardly and, and not focusing on worshiping God as, as he desires to be worshiped. And I, and I pull from Achan, um, the sin of Achan. And then I also pull from, um, Aaron's two sons, um, I just lost their names. Uh, Nadab and Abihu, yeah. and and them offering strange fire and being consumed. Um, but yeah, so like that that story. Uh, ultimately, he's he's looking at the things in this place and and not focusing on the God who's granting him victory and that delivered them from Egypt. And so that's that's kind of you know in in my book, uh, I, I deal with that and tie it all into a proper law gospel distinction that, you know, Christ did fulfill the whole first table and we can't, we never have, but once, uh, he enables us through the Holy spirit. And once, um, we're in him, then you will see the first table being rightly established in in a society, uh, more so, which then enables us to love our neighbor and, and which is the, the summary of the second table of the law. But anyway, so yeah, that's cool. Um, but that is, you know, a lot of people, when they read Aiken, you're like, well, all he did was take a little bit of gold in the cloth. Why is he and his whole family getting burned and, but yeah, it's it's because God is holy and um and he has a standard and, and Aiken failed to beat that because he was looking at the things and the creation rather than the creator. But um all right, so Brian, what would you say is the importance for believers in our current culture to to be writing? Uh we're like you said, we're in a in a generation where I can get on TikTok and learn all that I want to learn, or I can get on YouTube and YouTube it. Um, you know, I can watch the movie. I don't need to read Lord of the Rings. I can just go watch the new Amazon movie and see what it's all about. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but so why would, why would you say that it's important for believers to be writing in, in, in a culture today where there's not as many readers as there was 50 years ago? Yeah, fundamentally, we're people of the word. Um, and so on one level, I can just say, I, I don't even have to see what's going on to know that we can't lose right. the way that God has revealed, uh, himself to us. Right. Mm. So, um, through his word. Right. Yeah. So in that sense, anything, any profession, uh, or any, any person who is focusing on the word that you're doing something important at that level. Now, um, uh, in, in our particular um, culture. C.S. Lewis has a great 
quote that's often passed around at the beginning of the introduction to Athanasius on the Incarnation. And he basically talks about how other perspectives that are not modern perspectives, even modern perspectives we disagree with, uh, other perspectives from other centuries are going to be, in effect, he says, a clean sea breeze blowing through our own minds and clearing up categories and making assumptions that we didn't even know we were making clear. Right. And that's the fundamental reason of what, or our fundamental, um, uh, perhaps apologetic reason that we would read books um, and write books. I think there's a deeper one, though. Uh, one of one of the biggest reasons is that you're you, we often fail to show our children what the good life is um, in a way that allows somebody else to show them a counterfeit version and trick them into thinking that that's the good life. Now, what right. do I mean by that? I heard someone describe this. Um, oftentimes, people are willing to give their kids you know, Hershey's chocolate because they say, oh, the kid can't tell any different. Right. right? You know, uh, why would I give the nice chocolate to the kids? I'll keep it for myself mm -hmm. uh, because I appreciate it. And my kids will, uh, can, will be fine with the Hershey's chocolate. Right. And uh, this, this person asked who um, is going to teach them that there's actually better chocolate out there. Right. Yeah. And, and, and all that to say that, you know, you can take this to alcohol too. If you're not learning um, from your parents how to consume and enjoy alcohol, like the Lord says, wine gladdens the heart. If they're not learning that from you, someone else is going to come along and give them a counterfeit version of how to enjoy alcohol. And oftentimes that happens, uh, you know, high school or college. Right. It's a bad counterfeit version. Yeah. But because there's the truth, the truth that alcohol does gladden the heart, right? Right. Um, basically all this to say a story is a way to strengthen an emotion, to teach you how to handle something that is approaching or a trouble that's in your life, to react to a situation, to be faithful before, um, you actually have to, to do that in real life. Yeah. Um, so those, those kind of two answers right there, both an apologetic one and a practical, um, real life example. Yeah. So that I think if I'm looking at that covers both the logos side and then also the pathos and ethos. Yeah. No, I like that. Uh tomorrow's my oldest eighth birthday. And um every year for his birthday, he wants to go to get crab legs. And people are always like, Man, why do you take your eight year old and <laughs> they don't have like a kid's crab leg menu? Yeah. So he gets the the whole big, you know, thirty dollar plate of crab legs and uh they're like, you know, he could just go to McDonald's. And I was like, yeah, but then he's, then he's eating McDonald's, you know, I want him to kind of exactly what you're saying, you know, uh, experience. This is there, there's really good food. So I'll take him to get sushi or we'll go to get, you know, and just kind of building their palate. Um, but yeah, so that's really cool. Uh, I appreciate that. And kind of for me, like one of the things that I was thinking about too, which is kind of goes back to your CS Lewis quote, but when, I, when I'm reading books, I would say, 70 to 70% 70 of the books that I'm reading are from guys that have been dead for hundreds of years, if not thousands, you know, mm -hmm. uh, a thousand years for some of them. And, um, and so, you know, we can, we can do podcasts, we can do video, we can do all that stuff, but, um, just having books and, and knowing that those are going to last uh, a long time, um, 
you know, I'm, I'm sure technology might last for a while too, but just having that, that physical copy of here's a book and, you know, um, being able to give that to somebody to read and, and then take the time to read it. Um, and just my encouragement for, for listeners that are saying, well, I don't, I don't read that much. Um, I know I've, I've faced that with like the, the youth in our church. They're like, well, I don't, I don't read that much. And so I've told them leaders are readers and, <laughs> but then just showing them the importance of when you're reading a book, how that imprints on you differently than, um, if you're just like social media is this short attention span, I'm just going to get clippets of information here and there. Uh, and it's going to be kind of tailored to what I like anyway. But, but when you take time to, to read an actual book that is soul food, uh, whether that's a fiction book or a nonfiction, just allowing that to um, have that time of wrestling and letting that kind of shape who you are and, um, all of that, I think it's very beneficial for the soul. So. Yeah, basically, there's a D.K. Chesterton quote. Fairy tales do not tell children dragons exist. Children already know that dragons exist. Fairy tales tell children that dragons can be killed. Right. And that uh, that works for adults as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's awesome. All right, so my last question is... Um, Looking at biblical or theological nonfiction, um, what would you say would be the best route to, to getting – so if there's people like myself and they're like, you know what, I, I, I want to write something, um, what would be the benefits for self-publishing in, in today's society where you can just link it up to Amazon and, or have print-on-demand and that kind of thing versus like a traditional Christian publishing or even – starting like your own publishing company yeah. yeah uh obviously this is the question that i that i live live my life in um, right and it, it's a it's a great one um fundamentally the question is about what are you what are you trying to do with your book mm -hmm. i get a lot of great book ideas um and oftentimes those are great book ideas for a particular area for even for a particular family right you know i've got some great ideas from moms who have a devotional idea that, and I say, you know, power to you. Right. Uh, that looks like a great devotion for your church and your family. Yeah. And go for it. Um, the real distinction here between a publisher and a self-publisher, especially as Amazon has removed one barrier to entry, which is the physical book barrier. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the real question is basically, do you want to do all of the work of a publisher yourself? Right. Right. So the question is, hey, do you want to be your own uh, manuscript development editor? Do you want to be your own copy editor? Do you want to be your own proofreader, your own formatter, your own layout and your own cover? Right. Right. Designer. And that's just on the pre-production side. After that, the sales side is, do you want to be your own publicist, your own marketer, your own fulfillment and supply, your own um, and, and basically your, your own, um, just, just your own entire marketing team. Yeah. So, so the, the question, that's really the question. If you have all that time to do that and you think you can get the similar amount of reach and platform, then you, you know, maybe publishing is for you. Right. Um, if you're trying to make it big, yeah. really what the goal of Canon press is, is really, um, to get all of Christ for all of life. 
right? Mm-hmm. And so we want to acquire authors who have a bigger message to tell, one that could really benefit from reaching our people and reaching a lot of other folks. Right. And you're going to make uh, a smaller royalty if you look at it on the surface, uh, if you go with a traditional publisher rather than self-publishing. Right. But the idea is that you're actually going to make a difference and reach a ton more people outside of your community. Right. Right. Yeah, so the benefit, so fundamentally, you're you're yeah, going to have a, a larger footprint for your book's going to reach more people if you go with a traditional publishing company. Absolutely, you know, and I have friends who self-published. Um, Sam Smith, you know, is is famous for starting his own story publisher. SD Smith wrote the Green Ember series and has basically started his own publisher, his own fulfillment, and right. his you know own marketing and everything. And Sam's had great success with that. Yeah. Um, for most people, that's not actually the way right. that, uh, the, not a great path to success. Uh, to be honest, I, I don't, I, it's good to crush dreams occasionally. I do really tell people that writing is not the way to make a ton of money. Right. Um, in, uh, Nassim Taleb's book, Black Swan, he talks about how we think of publishing as a wealthy industry, but it's one of those books with an ex- or one of those industries with an extremely long tail. Mm-hmm. And the books that make money are the top one, maybe two percent of books. Right, and that means James Patterson, right? Yeah, who I think you know is making the the ninety million a year. He's mm-hmm. LeBron Le- LeBron <laughs> levels of income. Right, right, and the average person is not making money by writing. They're right. doing it because they feel called to tell something exactly uh, because they are a writer yep yeah yeah no i I like that so and the reason that i kind of asked that like so for me i've got something that that the lord's kind of just been working in my heart and then as i talk to people they're like man that's like i would like to hear more about that um i've got an elder at our church that i was talking to about just everything that I've been thinking through and, and laying it all out. And he was like, you know, yeah, you need to, you need to start writing that. And, and the, what I've always done is like, if I have an idea, I just kind of let it sit for a little bit. And if I'm still just as passionate or more passionate about it, giving it some time then I know that it's not just like, okay, let's do this. Let's do that. And, you know? And so, um, but what, I guess just for, for where I've been at, I'm like, okay, so should I self-publish it so that I got it for church members and family members and things like that as I'm giving it out or is this something bigger? And um, so I guess for somebody in my situation, would, would, the, would, you, would you tell them send it to traditional Christian publishing companies, let them look at it and, and they can give you feedback and, and then you can decide kind of like what you said where, hey, this might be, uh, something better for your church or, you know, your area or whatever, or this is something that, that yeah, might be yeah, interesting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's no harm in sending it out right. to, to, to query and see if you can get the response. That's, that's always an, um, an experience in itself. Right. Uh, and it really, uh, I always say this, you know, plenty of books on worship. So it all depends on how well you execute. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you have do you have an angle that helps the book differentiate itself in the marketplace, right. or is it something that's going to be helpful to people who know Matt specifically and want your take on this issue? Right. 
um, and, and it's more, uh, um, and I don't use this word, uh, popularization. And I don't use that word pejoratively. I mean, yeah. it, um, I mean it for real. Like, are you, are you taking hard truths and making them palatable for those who know you? Right. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, awesome. Um, Andrew, what you got, man? You've been kind of quiet. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, I've, I've enjoyed this conversation. I, um, you know, I, I think one of the biggest things that I, I feel like I've picked up, I'm, I'm a young married man. And, um, so we are, you know, preparing ourselves to have kids and, um, learning how to, uh, I guess, teach and be, I think, I think understanding story, understanding kind of like what you were saying, um, a little while ago about how, um, you know, um, logos, or I think I pronounced it right, is kind of less, um, effective than actual storytelling and communicating through that way. So I'm a very analytical person. So like I, you know, I like to just, like if I, 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 I've got to fight to try and read fiction because I read a lot of nonfiction stuff and like it's, it's because I like to just get the facts, you know, and I think that's to my detriment. Do, to be honest. Yeah. Really. No, I mean, it really is. That's, that's a, a male thing and there's not necessarily a problem with that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't know. I think this conversation has really helped me think through, um, why stories because i've listened to your podcast a little bit not as much as matt has but i've listened to it some and it's helped me to kind of think through why stories are soul food and kind of also though how you can use stories to teach and communicate better not not like as good but better than simply like explaining something raw yeah, you know, yeah. If I can, um, if I can give an example, you guys did not call your podcast the Five Solas, right? Which right. Which is a doctrinal point. You called your podcast Locust and Honey because it's a story point, right? And and actually, it, it keys in on a character uh, from which belief comes. If I can give another example, I had know so many Christians who reach out with books, ideas about books on gender. Mm-hmm. And they they want to say, hey, I wrote a children's book on gender. And then you end up looking at their proposal, and the proposal is basically like, hey, God made boys and girls. Uh, and then the girl does something in the book, like, I don't know, makes, I mean, <laughs> honestly, you know, goes on a picnic and runs in the meadow, and then the boy goes with her and kind of helps her out. And um, there's usually not even that much conflict. They both are just trying to affirm. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and my thought, my thought on that is guys, you're missing the point, right? Kids don't read books on gender. That's, that's weird for kids to read books on gender. Yeah. Instead, you know, we're working on a, a picture book that'll release this year called Sir Battlelot, which is an awesome story about a kid who's basically has to, um, he, he, he keeps having his castle get knocked down and he realizes it's a dragon who's encouraging him to lose his temper and knock everything down. And, uh, it's illustrated by the illustrator of Hello Ninja, uh-huh. and it's it's awesome. And right. that book will do far more teaching a boy how to be a boy, and even honestly, a girl how to be a girl, than a book that specifically is affirming biblical views on the two genders. Right, just right. because of how stories work and the way that our brains work. Yeah, yeah. Well, awesome. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's good. 
Yeah, it's been. It's yeah, been... and if I can give advice to anybody too who doesn't read a ton of fiction, and and I, I don't have a problem. You know, we don't have we only have so many hours in the day, so uh, it would be find what you like and enjoy that. I don't think you really have to to um, suffer your way through a Tolstoy novel in order to be a real fiction novel right. you know, mm-hmm. reader. Yeah. You know. Um, there's just a lot of stuff out there that will help you flex those muscles, will help you identify, you know, certain weaknesses in your own soul um, <laughs> in a way that's positive and fun. Right. Not something that's like, oh, great. Now I got to go do this <laughs> this 900 page novel. Right. right. Well, yeah. And so, Andrew, the challenge for you is you need to read Narnia. Yeah. <laughs> All the Chronicles. All right. All right. Let's go. <laughs> and then let me know what you think about it. I think it's going to take you, uh, obviously having a kid too, uh, whenever that happens, uh, mm. that is something that also you're like, Oh, I get it. Right. This yeah. Way, yeah. Know, I get why this is there. Cause you know, as you head into Narnia, you'll be like, Oh, this is clearly for kids. <laughs> but of course, uh, CS Lewis wrote that because he was striking out on, um, the intellectual arguments or not striking out. He just wanted to approach it from a different perspective. Yeah. So mm. they contain everything he believes just in, uh, a different package. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well awesome. I think, appreciate you yeah, guys man. having me on. And I don't know if you have any other questions. No. Yeah. That, I think we've covered everything that I'm, I was looking to cover today. And um, so, yeah, Brian, I just, I, I appreciate it. Uh, it's been, been fun. It's been a good episode today. Um, for those of you that are still here listening, we appreciate you guys. I uh, hope you have a, a good Lord's day and we will, talk to you next week Andrew you want to tell them bye all right (laughs) bye bye everybody (laughs) all right bye bye